Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I'm your host, Ken Seymour, and I have to say I am super excited today as I bring to you a special guest from a starship uh, orbiting a uh, planet in another time, uh, uh, just a fantastic actor and uh, a wonderful uh, spokesman, uh, Mr. Wilson Cruz. Hey, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you doing? How are you handling the uh, the new normal? I mean, you know, we're an adaptable species, right? So <laughs> I am adapting. Um, yeah. Yeah. You 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 seem to uh, you seem to uh, be be doing pretty well right now. I've uh, I, you, you're you're on the cusp the cusp of an exciting new season of a fantastic show, which we're I definitely want to talk about here in in just a minute, but. The first thing I wanted to start with, I, I always, um, I'm fascinated uh, by all aspects of the production of any sort of uh, story, whether it be through television, uh, radio, um, movies, whatever. So um, what I wanted to just uh, check with, sometimes when you uh, change your name for the purposes of acting, there is sometimes some meaning behind it. Was there any <laughs> particular reason you chose Cruz for your last name? Well, it's, uh, I mean, there is a story. Um, Cruz is my mother's maiden name. Um, and um, when I came out to my father uh, in order to do my so-called life back in 1994, um, he did not take it well. And I'm Wilson Echeverria Jr. That's my, my name. And... Um, he didn't take it well and disowned me. And so my answer to that was, well, if you're going to disown me, I'm going to disown you. <laughs> <laughs> seems, that, that seems fair. So I took, uh, I took my mother's maiden name. Now, listen, that only lasts, you know, my, my father and I um, didn't speak for a year, but we, um, we have um, reunited and we've, we've done some real work on our relationship but now it's too late because now I'm Wilson Cruz everywhere. So that's what it's going to be. Oh. Um, and it actually, it's fine because it helps me, you know, distinguish between my, my personal life and my, my, uh, my work. Um, so. Well, by now it's probably pretty easy. Was it kind of one of those things at first where uh, when, when people would call you uh, Mr. Cruz and you just wouldn't look because it, <laughs> you weren't ready for it. <laughs> I don't know that anybody's ever called me Mr. Cruz. Um, yeah, no. Um, I, you know, I just, you know, if I really, if, 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 if you really want to know why I kept it is because I kind of like the way it looks now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a W, there's a really cool Z at the end there, you know. Optics it's a memorable are, name. It's important. I mean, it's just kind of that first impression. You, you, got your, you got your visual, but you also you know, got the name. I definitely get that. For um, sure. I mean, well, but you know, the relationships with our parents are, are complex, right? And that was 26 years ago now. So yeah. it, it's interesting to think back on that. I'm just glad. I'm, I'm always happy when, when it, when the story ends with reconciliation, it's just, uh, we have absolutely reconciled. Yeah. That's, that just makes me, makes me happy and hopeful, you know? Yes. Uh, my father gives me hope. Um, every time I think about him, uh, in terms of, how far he's come on his own journey of um, education and acceptance and, you know, now finding himself as one of 
my biggest allies. Um, and um, I couldn't be prouder of where he has come to, um, at, especially given where he started. That's awesome. Now, you started acting at an early age, too. I, mean, I know I've, I've, I've seen interviews and, uh, and uh, some, some things that you know, your mother kind of supported you uh, really nicely when you started going mm. out and, and doing this stuff. Was there a specific moment or a specific play, specific piece of work that just clicked with you and said, oh, this, this is the thing that I want to do? Or was it kind of an organic thing over time? Well, my mom, since you brought her up, <clears throat> um, Iris um, will tell you that she was pretty much aware that I was going to be a performer since I was, you know, two or three years old. Um, she didn't know exactly how that was going to manifest itself, but um, I was a, um, uh, uh, a a very outgoing child, <laughs> um, gregarious, if you will. And um, I took to the arts very quickly. I, I was a dancer um, for a long time. I took up uh, learning three instruments. I played the alto sax, clarinet, and flute. Um, and that orchestra world is kind of what was my entry world into <clears throat> performing arts. As little, you know, I mean, as much as performing arts can be uh, defined as marching bands and mm -hmm. orchestras, but there was some, there was something about the beauty and the creation of that, that, that spoke to me. And, um, when I was in the band in high school, cause I went to public schools and when I was in high school, um, the, the fine arts department was basically one building. Yeah. They, they were all next door to each other. Um, and so all the teachers knew each other and they knew all the students. And so, the choir teacher came to me one day and said, I need more guys in my, in my show choir. <laughs> mm -hmm. Will you, will you join the show choir? And I was like, you want me to sing? <laughs> 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 so I joined the show choir and I performed. Um, and I actually learned a lot about performance and about discipline and um, what it takes to, to, to do this work, the, the, the effort that it takes. Um, through that high school experience. And, you know, and then I went from, from the, the show choir to the theater department. So um, I, I owe my, um, I owe my career to public school. You yeah. know, I went to, I went to college for about a year. And while I was in college, um, I, I auditioned for my so-called life. So, you know, I, I, I think that I always knew what I was going to be. Um, but I, I think what developed later was that I needed my work to be um, uh, attached to my values, right. you know, that I was going to use my art in order to illuminate the experience of people like me, um, because there was so little of that for me to see when I was growing up that I wanted to be able to offer that um, to people coming after me. Um, so that's what, that's what changed through the years was why I was doing it. Well, and that's the whole point, right? I mean, when you create, right. when you create these things that, to create a, a, a lasting, um, a lasting impact, a lasting kind of, um, script for the people yeah. that follow you to, to kind of see that, uh, I can understand my life 
not only through the actions of those around me, but through the pop culture, the, the things that, that, that we consume on a daily basis. And it can have meaning. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, I think, I think, I think for me, when, when it became something I had to do as opposed to something I could do, um, that's when it, when it really clicked for me. And it just means so much more at that point. Yeah. So my so-called life, I know you've talked mm. about this before. I mean, I mean, it had a huge impact on a lot of people. And mm. I, I know you still have people that, that, that want to talk to you about it uh, still. And what is it like to be a part of a production that is so, I don't want to say exactly novel, but it's... It, it, it kind of was novel in a, a, in a specific way. And it just still resonates to this day that just kind of has that lasting effect. Yeah. I'm, you know, I think the first thing I think of when I hear you ask that is that we were all so aware of how lucky we were in the moment. Like we, I'm so grateful for the fact <laughs> that, every single one of us involved in that project had been so hungry to be involved with something like that, um, to give voice to a generation, to really um, speak to the life of a teenager and take it seriously, as opposed to, um, you know, uh, dismissing it or, or treating it as if um, it, it had no weight or depth. Um, that a, a, an adolescent's life is rich um, with opportunity to speak to the human condition, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, the, the development of, a, of, a, of an adult <laughs> with their own values and needs and concerns um, had never really been done, right? Uh, up until that point, nobody really took the lives of teenagers seriously. Yeah. And so because of that, we came to it with um, fervor. You know, we came to it with um, a hunger to get it right. And um, I think we did. Uh, I think the fact that it was so honest and and so vulnerable and so authentic might have worked against us in in uh, when it first aired. Mm -hmm. But I think it, it's what helped it last over 25 years in people's minds and hearts. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely the case. There are a lot of shows and movies that have had that kind of uh, the initial success may not have been to the level that was hoped for, but because it it uh, had a core that had purpose, had some truth to it, and resonated in a different way, it has lasting power that other shows just don't have. We're very proud of it, and and they're still in my life. I I love those people. They're they will always be an integral part of my life. Well, and that was your first that was your first real television gig, right? Oh, I mean, it was my first big gig. I had I had done um three episodes of a series uh that Toby Maguire actually uh starred in called Great Scott. It was his first big job. And nice. I, I had gotten my union card through that, but the very next uh pilot season for um the fall of 94 was was the, the year I auditioned for my so-called life. So it, it all happened very quickly. 
there's a huge difference in the construction of a television show as opposed to the construction of a live theater show. What was maybe some of the biggest takeaways, the biggest lessons that you had going into the the two shows there that maybe yeah. formed <laughs> the way you handled things later? I mean, it was a steep learning curve, I have to tell you, um, because I did come from a theater background um, and a stage background that there was so much I didn't know. I have to tell you, when I look back, <laughs> when I look back at the beginning of my career, I marvel at the fact that I truly threw myself into the fire, right? I, it was trial by fire. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing. I, I had taken one commercial acting class, so I had done some camera work, but I had no idea that they shot things out of order. When I showed up to a uh, great Scott, uh, I didn't know, I didn't know what it meant when they said, you have to hit your mark hmm. here. So this one, this person comes up to me and puts like a piece of a, a, a taped T at my feet. Mm-hmm. And I looked at her like, what is that? And she said, well, that's where you're standing. That's where you're going to end up standing when you walk into this. I was like, ah, she said, that's a mark. <laughs> <laughs> and literally, that's how I spent the first two years of my, my career. Thank God for that great Scott job. Well, yeah. Because then I could go into my so-called life and actually know. But I had no idea what I was doing. I thought I was going to go in and do like, a week of rehearsal <laughs> and then we'd put it up on its feet and put on a show. You know what I mean? I know. Um, so um, it was all very exciting. It was all very new. And I'm sure that um, I tried to be very charming in my ignorance. Well, <laughs> I, from, from everything I've seen, you're generally pretty charming no matter what. It's just, that, that's just the impression <laughs> that I've gotten. Uh, but so, I mean, there's, there's a big question though. I mean, when you're, when you're putting on a play and you've got your character and you're trying to, Get into the headspace of whatever character it is that you're going to be playing. You're you're getting the background. How am I how am I emotionally in this particular scene? When you're putting together something with that is out of order, how do you get past mm-hmm. that that obstacle to be able to be in the right frame of mind for the specific scene that you're working for? Yeah, I mean, the work of an uh, the work of a TV and film actor is to take the chaos that is the actual production and to distill it into the telling of a person's life, right? Uh The story of this person's life. Um, So my job is to uh, eliminate all the chaos and there's so much of it, whether it be, you know, the, the noise and, and craziness on the set um, or um the responsibility that I have to know where I am in the story, uh, both physically and emotionally. Right. So my homework, my homework every day before, um, the night before, uh, a shoot is to go and, and, you know, I've just finished today's work. I go home, I, I look at the, the next day's work and my work is to figure out where, and when and what I was feeling right before I do this next scene, right? So I write myself some notes, some reminders of my own uh, research or go back to my notes and my script. And before we shoot the scene the next day, I go back to those notes and I remind myself of where I was emotionally, what had just happened in the scene before this um, and where I'm going next, 
right? What is it that what is it that I'm bringing into this scene, and what do I want to leave uh, when 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 it's over with? Hmm. So, um, but there's a constant r- reminding of yourself of what you do know by the by the what the character knows by this point, and what the character doesn't know. Yeah. At this point, and keeping track of that is why we get paid so much. <laughs> <laughs> I like that answer. That, that, that works for me. Because it's really, it really messes with your head. You know, it really does. It's, it's almost like you're, you're writing a, a personal journal for the character as you're going. It, does it kind of feel oh, like that? For sure. For sure. I mean, I, it's, hard, it's so hard to describe after all these years. I still find it difficult to just to explain what we do, it's all, you know, but here's how I, here's what I think of it, how I think of it. I feel like when I'm, when I finish a scene, I, I mentally press pause. Hmm. So that person's life is on pause. That person that I inhabit on set's life is paused. And then when they hit, when they say action, I press play. And my job is to remember where I was when I pressed pause um and the turning on and off of that um ability is the craft it's it's our job it's the the work of an actor right of holding on to uh what you learned and what you're feeling and bringing that with you into the next scene whenever it is that you do that yeah i like that it's it's more than just standing and looking into the uh, the middle ground. It's more than just hitting that T mark <laughs> <laughs> or remembering, remembering what to say. Yeah. You know, so many people, here's the thing. Here's the other thing. Like so many people, like the first question someone will ask you uh, when you tell them you're an actor is how do you remember all those lines? <laughs> and I tell them, it's not my job to remember the lines. My job is to remember how I feel so that when I say those words, they are imbued with meaning and feeling and human spirit. Um, And the words come easily after that, because if you know where you are emotionally and you know where you're feeling, if you're familiar with those lines and you've done this work enough, you know that you can trust yourself for your, your trust, your memory. Um, If you concentrate just on what you're supposed to be feeling, it will all come to you. Yeah. I like that. And that, and that can result in some interesting spontaneous changes, too. I know a lot of times uh, scenes For sure. alter just a little bit because the, the person playing the role understands that person in a way that maybe we should do something a little bit different. Yeah. You know, some of the most beautiful uh, unexpected moments have been when I or the person I'm working with suddenly forgets their line. Yeah. Right. But in that moment, we're not, we're not yelling cut. We're not stopping. We're, we're, we're staying there until we or they, I remember our lines. And using that lack of memory, that forgetfulness in the scene. And it's, and it, it's funny. It's like, like our first instinct is to say, nope, I'm done. I can't remember. But if you stay in it and you let that moment play out, some really interesting things can happen there. Sometimes just a little extra beat is enough to uh, to add some gravity to a scene. Yeah. I mean, 
even when I'm talking to you now, right? Like I'm trying to think of the right words to say, <laughs> right? Yeah. So why wouldn't we do that as, you know, in when we're conveying life on screen, right? That makes Not sense all of me. us have the words coming at us, you know, at the ready all the time. Well, and I've, I've noticed that when I try and be off the cuff too much, then it's even real life seems a little bit fake. I'm, I'm right. <laughs> yeah. I, I've gotten in trouble with that a couple of times, but uh, <laughs> now at, at this point with uh, uh, with your career, you still stayed active uh, in in theater. Uh, you did Rent uh, around the time of uh, my so-called life, or towards the end of it. Um, what about the theater? Um, or uh, let me let me rephrase. What about that show? Uh, was something that's like, ah, I, I want to be, I want to be in that show. It's, it's, is what spoke to you about that? So, you know, I was 24 years old. Um, yeah, I was around 24 years old. It was 1997. It was literally the height of the AIDS epidemic. Mm-hmm. Um, it was right before the a cocktail um, was introduced mm-hmm. that helped uh, extend people's lives who were living with HIV. Yeah. Um, so at the, at the time, HIV AIDS was still a death sentence in yeah. a very real and tangible way to, to many of us. Uh, I had lost uh, numerous friends and family. Um, and so I wanted to... I wanted I, I wanted to speak to that in some way, um, and so I had seen the musical Rent um, during hiatus, and um, I remember loving it so much and and you know wanting to be a part of it so much. But it was the character of Angel. When I watched the character of Angel, I thought, well, that's an amazing role, uh, played by an amazing actor, Wilson Germain Heredia. And I could see myself playing that, but I also wanted to make sure that if I was going to do it, it was because uh, I had something else to add, something different to say. Right. Um, otherwise, what would be the point? Um, and in watching it, I, I knew that I wanted to, um, how can I put this? I, I wanted to, there's a moment in the show, it's not even a moment when, when uh, I'm singing or any, or it's not even a song that, that Collins and I sing together, it's without you in which um, there are these vignettes that play out during the scene where we see these couples in their um, domestic uh, relationships. And when they get to Angel and Collins, their scene takes place in a hospital. Yeah. And Angel is dying and very near death. And in the original production, in the staging, there was it, it was all, it was very fluid. It was almost kind of dreamlike. Um, it was very beautiful. It was very lyrical. Um, the, the 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 blocking of it. And when I came into the show, I asked Michael Greif if we could make that a bit more visceral. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to feel and understand that Angel was dying, that he was suffering in great pain. And that emotionally, it was heartbreaking because 
now that he's finally found the love of his life, he has to find a way of letting it, of letting him go. Yeah. Um, but also to be able to be vulnerable enough to love him through that. Um, even though he does, even though Angel doesn't want him to see him that way. Um, so I wanted somehow to bring all of that into a scene in which we're both silent. <laughs> and we did. And um, I'm proud to say that once I left, they kept that, that blocking in the show. Um, and they used it in, in the various um, productions throughout the world. Um, so it meant a lot to me personally to be a part of that show because of all of the people I've lost um, because of the, the moment in history that we were living um, yeah. and attention needed to be paid. Uh, and, you know, I got to wear a really cute skirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you had a, a pretty, uh, a pretty impressive uh, set of costume changes for that too. I, I, I was very impressed because I, I did some theater in college, which is one of the great joys of my existence. And I had, one what I thought was a hard change in an Alice in Wonderland going from uh, the King of Hearts to a fully encased uh, uh, caterpillar. And it just, it just uh, I would have loved to have been able to see it professionally done. <laughs> to, to well, get... You know, what's crazy is that when, when I first went into the show, you know, they have you, Angel has three, when the show opens, Angel has three costumes on yep. underneath his, his, big jacket and those jeans and so it's about stripping away and then putting other things on and then the makeup and all that when uh but there's any there even underneath the uh christmas um costume there's another costume underneath so i already weighed two pounds when i started that show <laughs> so after singing and dancing in three costumes <laughs> <laughs> I weighed I weighed about 115 pounds wet when that was all over, um, but it was you know it's physically demanding, vocally demanding show. It's yeah. people don't I don't know that people quite realize how high people are singing and how much is happening on that stage all at once. Yeah, just kind of talking about chaos. There, this like controlled chaos. Just seeing everything. I, I have this 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 fear, and when I watch certain shows that have that kind of motion and everything, it's like people are going to run into each other. People are going to run into each other. <laughs> but uh, and they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. Just get that little wince. Uh, right. uh, so, one of the things that I really enjoy is when I find an actor that uh, whose work I appreciate. Uh, whether it's a, a marquee, whatever you can call a marquee actor, or even somebody that just sometimes does extras, seeing people pop up from one uh, from one part to another in in small in small uh, productions or big productions is kind of just this little jolt of fun. Were there any um, projects that you did where you had a larger or smaller role that? you you felt were just kind of a, 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 a gem that, that people maybe didn't appreciate as much and just had some little fun tidbit that stayed with you afterwards? I mean, I have to choose. Like there's there's so been many. a few. Um, you know, thank God for the 90s 
you know, early 2000s indie, the gay, in, the LGBT indie film scene because the queer film scene basically kept me alive for most of the early 2000s yeah. <laughs> and the late 90s. Um, and I made some really pretty good films. And one of them um, just somehow turned out so good <laughs> that people still watch it. And I, I get notes from it, uh, you know, from people who are like, I just found this little film that you're in. It's called Coffee Date. Yeah. And um, what's interesting to me about that movie was that uh, it wasn't written for, it wasn't written for me. It was, it was written for, you know, like a white dude or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and they offered it to me and I needed work really badly. Um, and I thought that the script was um, good. I liked the concept, but I did say to the director, I said, I think this is, I, I said, I, I think if you don't mind, um, if you wouldn't mind collaborating with me throughout the shoot, maybe we can, you know, really finesse and hone the script as we go. And we made some really, uh, some much to his credit, Stuart Wade was his name, is his name. Uh, he really allowed us to improvise a lot. Sometimes we do the, the scenes as written and then he just let us improvise the scenes. And he used a lot of that improvisation. Uh, and because of that, I think the film actually turned out, you know, infinitely better than it, it would have. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that little film was great. And, you know, I, I've, I made a whole career out of guesting on everybody's TV show, right? Right. <laughs> you know, my entire career. So there I've, I've had some really great opportunities as a guest star, um, on, on various shows. Like the West wing is one of my favorite yeah. guest spots. Um, Grey's Anatomy. Like if anybody can, can catch my Grey's Anatomy in a kilt. Um, it's one of my favorite favorite um, gigs. So yeah, I mean, I, it's not about the size of the role, that's for sure. For me, no. it's always about how interesting and how much fun can I have with this? How impactful can he be? Yeah, I, I think my favorite role where I saw you in a place I wasn't expecting it was on one of my favorite shows that did not last nearly as long as it should have because of the writer's strike. But uh, Pushing Daisy, seeing you show up on that. Oh, well, that was, you know, that was the season, that was the series finale. Yeah. <laughs> it was the series finale, um, and it was, you know, Brian Fuller created that series, and um, Gretchen Berg and um, Aaron Harberts wrote that episode. The reason why I bring that up is because uh, Gretchen Berg and Aaron Harberts ended up being the showrunners on Star Trek. And that's how I got my gig on Star Trek because of that role on Pushing Daisy. I was kind of wondering. I, I looking. <laughs> I, I look at a lot of stats. Part of what we do now. Is... I don't know how they. I don't know how they saw Sid Tango <laughs> in Starfleet, but <laughs> somehow, they, somehow they made that connection. Oh man, that's Sid that's... Tango. By the way, for the audience, is, is the name of my character in Pushing Daisy. Yep. I, I was really looking forward to that. It, it broke my heart when that <laughs> that show didn't continue. It's like, oh, I, I mean, that cast alone—that that entire cast was a dream. Yeah, Susie Kurtz, man. Yeah, uh, there, there's there's Chenoweth, and then you can just she, go down the she is yeah, she is a gem. I'll I'll watch her in anything. It's just yeah, can't help it. But, she's she's become a good friend. I I love her. Yeah. Um, 
so you know there's these little connections that that a lot of people don't see i mean and if you want to dig i mean you can go into imdb or something and see who produced what and who wrote what right. sometimes try and infer some things but it's a lot of times very hard to get get that that understanding of the the relationships that you can build while you're creating these shows what well, are, what are yeah. some of your favorites that you've managed to to create over time and and making this stuff the relationships you mean yeah absolutely well before i before i answer that um mm -hmm. i i have to tell you my you know one of the pieces of advice i give to young actors when they're just starting out is um be good at every job because mm -hmm. you never know who's watching yeah you know um every i i, I think in the last I want to make sure that I'm saying this honestly. <laughs> I think in the last five years, most of the jobs that I have booked were people who called me after working with me, right? Or had worked on worked with me on another project and, and brought me onto something else. That's, that's how it works, right? Like yep. you, people want to work with people that do the work and show up and are professional and are consistent um, and reliable. Um, and when you prove that over and over again, people are gonna continue to come back to you. And, and it's been um, one of the secret weapons of my career. You know, I love to work. <laughs> I love how I, I love the work that I do. I love working with people and um, they keep bringing me back. So, I, you know, I, gotta, I must be doing something right. And I tell young actors all the time, um, you know, this, this industry is about relationships, but yeah. not just like kissing people's asses. That's not what I, what I mean by that. No, I'm, I'm not talking about like showing up at the right party or, you know, networking with this person or going to that. I'm talking about the relationships we build by doing our best work. Yeah. That those are the relationships that are going to pay off in the end. Um, so for instance, for me, <laughs> Uh, you know, Alan Poole, who is the, the line producer on My So-Called Life, is still one of my favorite people in the world. Like, he's, that's how long we've been together. Nice. Um, Aaron Harbert and Gretchen Berg, for instance, brought me on this. Um, uh, uh, 13 Reasons Why was because Brian Yorkey was a fan of mine from My So-Called Life and, and on. Um, you know, I, I could go on and on, but there, there's just, it's all, it always means more to me when it's from someone who says, oh my God, you did an amazing work, you amazing job on this gig I, I, that you did for us. I want to bring you back and do this. That, that, that says something, that means something to me. You know, that's, I, I appreciate that on, on, on so many levels. Yeah, that's, that's the thing that I always like to see. And, and you can kind of, and you can kind of see that to a certain extent where, Certain groups of uh, directors, producers, writers, actors will often continue to work with each other over and over and over again. A lot of my favorite people, it never bothers me to keep seeing them in the same group because I already know that they're going to produce work that is excellent and is going to be have something new to say or something uh, new to bring. And it's just it's just a joy to, to see that creation process continue over time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you know, you develop a, a shorthand and, you know, they they know your strengths and, you know, it's a, it's a great way to work. 
Right. Now you've you've done more than more than just uh, acting. Obviously, you're you're active in in a variety of different endeavors, and you're you speak out for important issues. Now, one of the things that I saw that just uh, I, I was not completely aware of, and it just kind of intrigued me a little bit. Um, I saw that you were on the board of directors for Glad for a transitional period, and and then you've also been a strategic giving officer, which immediately prompted me to ask the question: What is a strategic giving officer? <laughs> um, yeah. So. Um... I was on the board of GLAD actually while I was doing rent in 1997. Um, but I, I was a part of the staff yeah. during a transitional moment. And I started out as they brought me on as a fundraiser, but that's what a strategic giving officer is. It's uh, someone who strategizes to get people to give them money. Um, and so I came in and kind of worked on their fundraising. Um, but then I, I ended up taking on more responsibilities and becoming part of the senior staff. And I was when I, I was there for two years. And when I left there, I was the director of entertainment partnerships, which was basically the liaison between GLAD, the, the largest media organization uh, in the LGBT community, uh, and the networks and studios. And my job was to lobby them to do a better job of representing our community. Um, and it was it was fun. <laughs> it was a tall order, <laughs> and it ended up being the hardest job I've ever had. Um, but what I will say is, with you know, by the time I left there, um, I can I can confidently say that we saw an exponential growth in um, the representation of LGBTQ people, especially. Uh, people of color and trans people. That was my mission. I wanted to be a part of the, the the beginning conversation about how we expand representation of our of our community. Um, because for so many years, for decades, all you ever saw on television and film when it came to LGBTQ people were gay white men. And yeah. so that's all the culture thought we were. So when when people of color would come out to their families, you know, their families would look at us and be like, that's something that white people do. <laughs> 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 what you, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, I, I needed to change that conversation. And yeah. so my career basically has become that. Because, you know, I, I want to change that conversation. Yeah, that's probably a good thing. And I heard the stress when you said the word fun. It was fun, but I heard cracks. <laughs> Just like, it's like it was, it was, it was great. I, I loved well, I'll it. I'll tell you, you know, I, I, I was in, I was having conversations and sitting in offices that I would have never been in had I just been there as an actor. Yeah, you know, but um, I was fortunate enough to be there representing an organization that has really stood up for this community and has made an enormous difference in our lives. And and how many people can, can really say that they've been a part of something that's had that kind of a positive effect? It's it's well, phenomenal. I mean, we all have to strive, but not everybody is is necessarily going to be as successful. Maybe that's not the way of putting it. Um, but well, it, it, I mean, you know, I wasn't there. I, I didn't do it alone, for sure. No, I mean, no. that, that organization is... You know, I think about Rich Ferraro, who's there in Sarah Kate Ellis, and 
you know, people who have been doing this work for a long time were there a long time before I got there and are still there now. So yeah, yeah. I, I was just there. I was a stopgap, you know, um, but I'm, I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot about this industry. Um, and I, I learned, I learned, I learned how to, how things get changed yeah, and what that, what it takes to make that change. And, and you know, the history, I mean, that, that rolls right into the, the documentary series that, that you did the yeah. visible out on television, which uh, I was producing while I was working there at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Cause it took seven years to produce visible out on television. It was, it was a, uh, it was a heavy, heavy lift. An undertaking. Yeah. Labor of love. Yeah. I think I'm familiar. Absolutely with that. a labor of love. I mean, it's, it, it, it was my, um, my love letter, my, you know, my call to arms to, to this community and all of the people who have sacrificed everything in order for us to be seen. Yeah. Because they understood that if we could be seen, that perhaps we could be understood. And if we could be understood, then we could be accepted. That's, those are the connections. That's how, so when people say, say to me, why, why is it so important for us to have LGBTQ people on screen? Why do you fight so hard for it? I fight so hard for it because it leads to acceptance. Yeah. Because in the end, we're telling the stories of these people and their lives and how they are affected by being in this community and people who aren't in this community who don't understand us and are perhaps ignorant of who we are and how and 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 all we've um, contributed to this to this nation that all they needed was the information and right. an experience and what better way to give them that than through a box that sits in the privacy of their own home that they can learn from without anybody bugging them, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. and they can take in that lesson and those feelings um, and perhaps extrapolate them to their personal lives and to the people in their lives. Absolutely. Um, and that's, that's how we change the world. Yeah. I mean, everybody wants to be able to see themselves reflected in some way in, in the, the world around them. But not only that, they need to be able to see how the rest of the world interacts with them. And these, these shows, these movies are, are key. It's the easiest way yeah. to kind of, kind of give that. I, I, I love seeing that those infinite little different connotations and little bits of information that you can get from that without even realizing it. For sure. I mean, it's, I, I have seen in my own lifetime in the span of my very short career, um, an enormous movement towards us. And I don't, you know, I, I, even, even our presidential nominee, Joe Biden would agree with me because mm -hmm. he said it on meet the press. You know, I think Will and Grace did more for marriage equality than anything else. I can see that, you yeah. know, because people finally understood Yeah, and were willing to, not only were they willing to understand us, they were, they even got to the point where they could laugh at us with us. That. That's hard. It's progress. Yeah. That's progress. So that kind of leads me into discovery, kind of directly into it. And one of the things that struck me about the, the character that you play in the show and how it is, 
how it is uh, written and how it is put forward. I'm 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 always concerned about the uh, the the character creation process and and how things are are portrayed because I want I mean obviously these are fantasies that we're watching but there needs to be that reality in it and a lot of times when I would see uh, any sort of a relationship whenever they strayed too far from what they were familiar with it didn't feel real and one of the things that hit me on on this show is just you really feel for the characters and it feels like a real relationship in a way that a lot of others don't. What do you think makes it feel that right? I think the fact that Anthony and I really love each other because we've known each other for 22 years that we created this fictional relationship that we based it on a very real love and friendship and respect for each other. Um, you know, when you're making television as opposed to film, you, do, you don't have a lot of time to develop a lot uh, before you start shooting. Um, so you have to show up on set that first day and hope there's magic there. Um, and, I, and I think Anthony and I came to it with the same attitude, which was, um, I already love this person. So it's not that hard to imagine being in love with them. Um, and I think because of that, you get a real feel and sense of that on screen. Um, but I think that also, you know, you have to, you have to give it to the writing, you know, and the direction and, and um, the care that, everyone involved really took with this relationship because it was such a big deal because it was the first it had to be it had to we had to get it right yeah um and by getting it right meant yes we have to show that these two people are in a relationship and they love each other but that's not what the show's about the show is about how these people come together to save the world right um and they fit into that story because what more powerful force of changing the world is there than love? Um, and we get to see that through them. Yeah. Just small scenes like the um, brushing your teeth in the morning. That mm -hmm. the, just the little bits like that is like it's it's small, but it's well i'm happy to report that there will be more of those <laughs> <laughs> it's an important anchor to really get emotionally invested in the characters and to be able to relate in a way that that kind of so that you know, obviously spoilers for those who have not watched it this far but i'm, I'm expecting if you're listening to this interview you've probably seen the show but right. so so that you know when your when your character did die at, at that point you know it, it had a visceral reaction when i watched it's like what no <laughs> Just kind right. of, why now? But of course, you know, it, it's, it was so well written and, and the, the layers of how it affected the re relationship when you came back, that was just so well done. What about, well, thank what, you. what about the right. third season really excites you that obviously without giving any spoilers? Um, I, I, I'm more excited about season three than I have been about anything. Um, because we're finally going to meet Culber. 
Yeah. Um, and what I and what I mean by that is we've gotten we've gotten glimpse of him, right? Yeah. We've seen who he is in this relationship. Yeah. We've seen him be a good doctor. We've seen him do this. Yeah. In season three, because he's finally corporal and he's finally um accepted his new body and his and and this new existence um that he really gets to well here's here's what i'm gonna say all right um i I, because it's it's a better way of putting it um i think that when you go through a traumatic experience um you are changed by that and I think the culprit that existed in season one was Paul's partner. You know, he was there to support Paul and make sure Paul had everything he needed in order to be successful in this, this experimental, you know, um, uh, uh, mycelial network experiment that he's making, that he's working day and night for, I, you know, he, Culver was the, 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 overly supportive spouse right right the foundation who kind of gave who kind of gave up his own um aspirations and and dreams in order to support this very important project that his partner was was um taking on um and then he dies and he's killed um and brought back to life and is given a sec literally given a second lease on life and when that happens, he, I think he sees and realizes just how limited his life was and how much he had given up. And in season three, we see that he is now the center of his own life and taking on new responsibilities. Um, and we get to see just how brilliant he is not just as a doctor, but um, in his ability to reach people, to empathize, to help them through their own traumas because he understands and knows because he's been through his own. Um, And so he comes to season three with all of that at a time when the ship needs it the most, when everyone has left everything and everyone they know behind. Yeah. And are experiencing another a new trauma and who best to guide them through that than someone who's been through and you know a trauma of 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 equivalent uh stature that makes sense now now a little now forgive me part of what i heard is you're going to partially become counselor troy in in the third (laughs) in the third season (laughs) um i i mean i think i think that well, first of all, I love Counselor Troy, and um, Marina is a freaking hero to me. Yeah, she's um, awesome. But um, I think what I think how I would say it is that he's going to be more of a holistic physician mm. who is going to take in the entire human when treating them. Right. So not just physically, but mentally. Yeah, that 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 should be really really interesting. I'm 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 looking forward to it. I I had some minor um, 
concerns when Discovery originally came out just because there's such a storied history to the series. And Mm -hmm. with everything that's happened, so much of it is so, well, pretty much all of it is really, really good. So there's this high bar. And I was like, come on, keep keep knocking them out of the park. And it's like, yep, okay, yeah, they did it. It's great. <laughs> I think, I, you know, I think that first season, like just like any show, um, people are, you know, that first season on any show, you are finding the show, right? Yeah. You are finding like, you know, there's obviously there is an overarching um, idea of what the show is. But when when once you hire people, <laughs> you know, to come in and be actors and writers and you hand that idea over, it's going to morph. And um, that first season is really about finding the tone of the show. And I think we, we did find it in season one and in season two, it took off. And in three, I feel like we're just flying. We're just, we've, we've really hit our stride. Uh, I gotta say, I'm definitely excited. Now, now you were a Star Trek fan before you got into this. I, I remember hearing you say that you were kind of a next generation person, right? Oh, for sure. Yes. Was that your favorite show? Did you ever keep up on any of the other shows afterwards? It was my, well, um, next gen was my, like my introduction hmm. right, to Star Trek. I had been aware of it obviously, cause it was in, um, syndication. Uh, but I, I, I watched a few, you know, I wasn't like a, an avid watcher, but then Next Gen came around and I couldn't get enough. And um, did I watch any after? Well, that was hard, right? Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know about Enterprise because I think I was uh, working on something else. And when you're working on something, you don't watch anything. <laughs> yeah. You're saying your time um, was limited? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just funny. Like every, I'm always saying to people, I was like, you know, you know who doesn't watch TV? People who work on TV. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> we're never home. Um, that's that's what was so fun about. Well, the only good thing that came out of the the shelter at home was I watched stuff I'd been wanting to watch for years. Finally, um, so nice. It's exciting. Well, if you like, have- I watched the entire. I watched all of Luther. Oh, fantastic. nice. Yeah, that's a great show. Yeah. If so you anyway. if you ever go back to any of the Star Trek stuff, I, I will I will give you my personal favorite. Uh, Deep Space Nine to me by far. hands oh, down. Oh, I mean, I've gone back and watched. Stuff. Yes. There's so much great stuff in Deep Space Nine. And and honestly, there's some really beautiful stuff in the original series. Oh, yeah. Uh, some monologues and, you know, I, I, I saw some really beautiful work. So. I've gone back every now and then just to watch uh, episodes for sure. Yeah. I tell you what, in the pale moonlight still gives me chills. Every time I watch it, that one episode, that's a big one for everyone. People love that one. That that was just so well done. Um, Okay. So now we're going to break into the crazy part uh, where we ask, (laughs) ask questions that have nothing to do with anything, you know, just off the, off the cuff. One of the things that my co-host, who unfortunately could not be here for this interview, uh, often likes to ask as we talk about food because you know with a podcast named everybody loves pudding you have to talk mm-hmm. about food a little bit so <laughs> are you a pizza person oh i thought i was getting a choice um yes absolutely so chicago new york or something completely different uh new york and if you don't fold the pizza right we're not speaking <laughs> 
<laughs> Good answer. I like it. I, I, I like it. You got to have that, that, that thin, that kind of, there's, there's nothing yeah, you quite like fold, it. You want to fold it so that the oil drips off of it a little bit before yep. you put it in your mouth. Cause that, that can burn. <laughs> Yes, it can. <laughs> or if you're if you're unlucky, also you will be having a stain that you don't know about for a good right. chunk of time. <laughs> the fold helps. The fold helps. Yeah. So okay. So the next kind of off the wall question. This is this is probably where we'll we'll finish this finish this whole thing up because it is it is the crux of our podcast. We tend to talk about comics and comic related movies and television probably more than anything else. Are you a comic book fan at all? Uh, I've not been, I have not been an avid comic book fan. No, I can't. Nothing wrong with that because there's, there's (laughs) way too much out there. If you're busy. It's not that I don't, it's not that I wouldn't, not that I, that I don't appreciate it. I, I appreciate it. I just haven't been. Well then let's, let's ask it in this way with all of the, the glut, let's call it the glut of, uh, Marvel, DC image, uh, shows and movies, uh, that have been Mm -hmm. coming out. If you had a comic book character that was going to be adapted to the screen in some way that you are familiar with, who, who would you like to play? Oh, do I know them? I mean, are you, are you talking about like the big tent pole movies like those? Or just yeah. Anything, Any, anything that is, is related to a comic that might be something that you would find interesting because there's a lot of movies based on comics that people have no idea are based on comics in the first place. So if you're talking about sp- oh. spandex, that's yeah. great. But Yeah. No, I, I, I think that I, I just did a benefit reading of the original Superman radio shows. Nice. And I very much enjoyed filling in those spectacles. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't see any reason why we couldn't have a Puerto Rican and gay Superman I, in the very near future. That could be interesting. I, yeah, I, come on. Yeah, I, I look great in red and blue. Yeah, I, I, I will vouch for that. I've seen it. <laughs> but... Uh, so for me, if you ever have anybody ask you, uh, the first person, when I, when I look at you, being the comic book fan that I am, and I know they actually just released this movie, but considering that um, the, the company that created it got absorbed by another company and it's no longer... Oh, I know what you're going to say. You are? Who, you, who do you think I'm going to Are you going to say the Green Lantern? No, no. Oh. This is, this is a slightly deeper cut. So oh, okay. there is a gentleman by the name of Roberto da Costa, also known as Sunspot. He was one of the new mutants. And just for the physique that you have, the look that you have, and the personality that I know that you have, you're like 100% this dude. Sun, <laughs> sunspot? Sunspot, absolutely. I like it. He's, 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 I like it. He's really kind of an interesting character, and he was underutilized for a very long time, and they finally found some really cool stuff to do with them a, a few years ago. And it's like when the movie came out, it's like, let's see what they do. And it's not quite what I wanted. But. <laughs> oh, really? They didn't do anything? <laughs> well, it, the, the problem was that that movie got kind of tied up in production hell. Um, and it mm-hmm. took a lot longer to bring it out than it needed to. And kind of the, the idea of it Which changed. movie was he in? The New Mutants. The New Mutants. Mm-hmm. They, they brought out, that was the last one from Fox before Fox got absorbed by Disney. I must have seen it. It's I I, I thought it, it was kind of interesting. It was 
it was they tried to go kind of a horror element with it and that was a, an interesting choice I, I don't know if it really worked all that well but um i'm gonna have to take a look at it yeah lord knows i have time <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is um, that's the good part right now all right i'm gonna do some research yeah well i and maybe i'll maybe i'll pitch my own little tent pole yes absolutely um I want to thank you so much for coming onto the show and talking with me at length about a, a variety of different things. I, I hope to get the opportunity to speak with you again, maybe after my mind is blown by season three of Discovery, uh, when they inevitably do write the, the season four that will come out. We'll have to have you on again, right? Yes. That would be between, awesome. Uh, you, between you and I. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I was going to say something, but I can't, I can't say it. Oh, uh, that, that works just fine for me. I, I understand the need for a certain amount of um, finesse in, in handling things. Yes, but, but absolutely. Let's, let's make a date for after season four. I, I love it. Thank you so much again. And until next time, uh, don't forget uh, putting people that we are on, of course, Twitter at real putting guys. We are on Facebook and Instagram at putting guys. And, if you feel the inclination, we are even on Patreon where you can support us for just $1 a month to help us create new, interesting uh, conversations, get new equipment so that I can sound better, uh, get you know, <laughs> you know, the normal stuff. But until next time, keep watching stuff and 